0: From breach of warranty to negligence, the construction attorneys at Sandberg Phoenix are ready to assist you. Sandberg Phoenix's construction team identifies problems and finds solutions before, during, and after the construction process, freeing up your time and providing you peace of mind. Contact Sandberg Phoenix today at sandbergphoenix.com. That's sandbergphoenix.com. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertising welcome to build st louis the region's new podcast that captures and shares the very heartbeat of construction and development across the st louis region i'm your host carrie smith owner of information works and in this episode we're delighted to welcome timothy sullivan phd Tim is Director of the Office of Regional Economic Analysis in the School of Business at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. Tim is a longstanding economist and published author of Economic Analyses in both the public and private sector and a longstanding instructor at SIUE. Tim, welcome to Build St. Louis. We're delighted to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. You bet. And I'm excited to dive right into the topic which you and I dubbed the anatomy of the St. Louis region's construction workforce. And I can't think of anyone I've interviewed or talked to in the past Two to three years that hasn't been intrigued by this topic, what does the structure of the construction workforce look like today compared to maybe recent past and where's it going and who's part of it and who do we need? Because no one has enough people. So I'm excited to learn from you on all of this and you know, maybe if you could start by just kind of doing the Quincy MD and do the autopsy or the anatomy maybe study of the workforce and tell us who is part of today's construction workforce in our region. Sure. Well, when we talk
1: about the St. Louis region, the federal government publishes data for what it calls the St. Louis Metropolitan Statistical Area, or St. Louis MSA, and that includes the city of St. Louis itself. Plus six neighboring counties on the Missouri side of the river and five counties in the Metro East. So, when I talk about the region, that's the definition I'm using. And in that St. Louis statistical area, there are about 6,000 construction establishments, places of business. And if you combine them, these firms employ about 70,000 workers and they have a combined annual payroll of about $4.7 billion. So it's fairly large, but something to keep in mind, whenever we look at government data, we have to be careful about how things are defined. And so those numbers are for construction companies. But of course, not everyone who works for a construction company is in a construction occupation. Construction companies, of course, hire accountants, secretaries, and many, many other positions. So if we want to look at just people who work in what the federal government calls construction and extraction occupations, this would include everything from carpenters, construction laborers, electricians, various helpers. If we just look at those folks who actually work in construction occupations, it's still large, but it's closer to about 50,000 workers in the St. Louis region and they earn a combined roughly three billion dollars a year in terms of sort of where these businesses are located in the region about 45 percent of the workforce in payroll are in companies that are located in st louis county businesses located in st louis city itself in st charles county they each account for about 13%. No other county accounts for more than 10% of the total. So not quite half are located in St. Louis County. And if you throw in the city itself plus St. Charles County, you're up a little bit over two-thirds of the workers in the pay.
0: Awesome. That really helps give us a picture of who we're looking at and where. And then within the Illinois side of the St. Louis region, forgive me if you already mentioned that, kind of what rough percentage of the whole total you know, workforce do you think?
1: Right. So about a quarter would be located on the Illinois side of the river. Madison County and St. Clair County, not surprisingly, would be the, the largest chunk of that, would be that. Again, mostly on the Missouri side of the river, and roughly half in St. Louis County. Sure.
0: Thank you. And now I guess the big question that I've had in my mind, you know, we hear about that's an impressive number, even in truly in construction jobs, 50,000 workers and 3 billion in payroll annually. They must be busy individuals because I have a feeling they're doing their job and maybe one and a half times other people's jobs that used to be working next to them because we don't have enough people. Uh, What's the scenario on, you know, no one has enough people, right? McDonald's doesn't have enough. Boeing doesn't have enough. But I mean in the construction industry, How is that impacting the statistics you said? Because they need to be bigger. We need to have more bodies.
1: Well, right. And in fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, looking at the construction industry, they estimate that there are about 400,000 U.S. construction jobs that are currently unfilled. And to put that 400,000 job openings in perspective, the Bureau estimates that's about 5% of all construction positions being unfilled. So that's a great question and you see why economists and folks in the industry are really curious about what's causing it and what's driving it.
0: Sure. Has that shortage existed? Is this kind of one of those, you know, wonky pandemic situations or has it been for five, 10 years or somewhat?
1: It is a long-term trend. And I think a great place to start thinking about it is to look at that 400,000 job openings number. And that's something that the Bureau of Labor Statistics has been tracking for over 20 years. And so if we look at how that's changed over time, you know, a good starting point might be to go back to the end of the called Great Recession back in 2009 is an interesting starting point. If you go back to 2009, that job openings number was below 100,000. And since the Great Recession, it's gone up almost every year, starting from again, under 100,000 back in 2009, hit 200,000 in 2016, it hit 300,000 in 2018. And then it hit 400,000 last year, 2022. So that number has been trending upward for over a decade, which is pretty good evidence that we're mostly dealing with some long-term structural issues as opposed to short-term issues. Now, having said that, while there's this long-term upward trend, sort of short-term cyclical things do make a difference around that trend. You know, historically, anytime the economy is growing, there are more construction projects, companies need need more workers, workers have more options, and the number of unfilled positions goes up. And the flip side is that when the economy is in recession, the number of construction openings drops. You know, in the last few years were no exception. You know, you mentioned COVID. When the economy slowed during COVID, the number of construction openings fell for some number of months. And as the economy rebounded last year, the number of openings increased. But again, these cyclical issues are the bumps along the road, but the road itself has been going up a hill for more than a decade.
0: Wow, I appreciate that perspective because I know I've also heard a lot about the great resignation and cultural shifts in people who wanted to be on job sites and maybe wound up during 2020 to 2022 being in front of a Zoom call all day and, and, you know, talk to folks that said, we want to be out there with our hands and doing what we do. And we had been limited in that. And so maybe there were early retirements and things, but I know that's just anecdotally what I've heard. But that's so interesting to get those stats back from 2009 and see. This has been a long time.
1: It's a long trend. It's something that's been going on for many, many years, long before COVID.
0: Definitely. So it's not fair to ask you, what are we doing about it? (laughs) What's working to try and send those numbers going the other direction? I hear insane stories from, you know, general contractors and suppliers and vendors and subs that are just have crazy sign on bonuses. And I know the carpenters and other unions and trades and craftsmen and organizations like that are offering everything they can to bring young bodies into the profession. But it seems at some point too, it, it's still a perception issue with what the industry is and what it offers.
1: Well, it sure is. And I think maybe first we could just reiterate the earlier point that this is not unique to construction. This is actually a long-term trend and unfilled position that's occurring at the national level and it's occurring across industries. And in fact, I mentioned earlier that 5% of construction jobs are unfilled. The overall rate in the U.S. economy is about 6.5% right now. So this isn't sort of unique. Obviously, your listeners are most interested in how it would affect the construction industry. But in terms of what we can do about it, this isn't unique to the construction industry. And so I think we can look at what issues are driving it sort of at the national, broader economic level, and then we can think about why that's especially unique to construction. I think to a large extent, again, we're talking about something that's been going on for well over a decade, and the biggest issue I think that's driving this, in my opinion, is that, in the last 20 years, there's been this overall drop in the U.S. labor force participation rate. And that's the percentage of people in the U.S. who are either working or looking for work. And that's fallen for the last 20 years in the U.S. Now, it's especially problematic for the construction industry since this drop in the labor force participation rate has been especially large for young men. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, about 96 percent of work Workers in the construction occupations are male. And if we focus just on young men that are what the government would call prime working age, they call that 25 to 54. And that never bothered me until I turned 55. But but, but yeah, prime working age men, that number has fallen from, in the last 20 years, from about 82% to about 72%. A participation rate of 72% means that The flip side, 28% of these prime working age men are not working and they're not looking for work. And just to reiterate, we're talking about a group that's at least 25 years old. So for the most part, we're not talking about men who are still in school and we're talking about men who are younger than I am, you know, so for the most part, we're not talking about men who've retired. These are men that historically would have been working, prime working age. And so again, 28% of them, they're not working and they're not looking for work. It's not that they're unemployed, hunting for a job. So I think the challenge for every industry, but especially those that hire young men, is figuring out how to get that twenty-eight percent back into the labor force, and that's, of course, you know, the thing to address. You know, you mentioned signing bonuses and whatnot, and I think that's certainly. You ask any economist, how do we eliminate a shortage of workers, and the economist's go-to answer is going to be to say higher wages, right now. You know, there are these anecdotal stories of signing bonuses, and I as well have talked to folks in the industry who are you know and other industries that feel like they're doing everything they can. I do think that at least if you look at the national level, wages in the construction occupation, once you account for inflation, average wages over the past decade at the national U.S. level have increased on average less than 1% a year. Now, that's the national average across numerous construction occupations over 10 years. Right. So there are going to be some occupations that are in some parts of the country during some years that have done better and some have done worse. But again, if we look at the national level, you know, a one percent real pay increase. It's not going to bring enough of these young men back into the labor force to fill those 5% of positions. Again, if we have 28% who are not working and not especially looking for work, it's not, you know, a 1% average pay increase isn't going to bring them back again it's not just getting somebody to move from being unemployed to being employed or move from that occupation to this occupation it's somehow reaching out to those folks who aren't even in the labor force that's where the bodies are going to have to come from
0: that's so surprising to me that when you take out inflation and cost of living increases and stuff that is so low because that isn't a topic that i really hear coming up at least within the construction sphere of Part of the problem,
1: and of course, part of the issue is, I said, once we account for inflation, and you said cost of living, and of course, inflation has been running a little hot the last couple of years. So, even if someone in the industry feels that they're, you know, raising pay rates, you know, when we have inflation that's running eight, nine, ten percent, well, that's what pay raise it would take just to match inflation. So. Everybody feels it. Employers feel it. Workers feel it. Obviously, people at the grocery store feel it. But right, that's part of the reason that what might look like a big pay raise on paper isn't perhaps being translated into a real pay raise once we account for inflation.
0: Exactly. And, you know, certainly all occupations um, and all sectors are focused on keeping employees healthy and working safely. But that's another theme that's kind of popped up as I talk to uh, safety directors at these general contracting firms, that turnover comes an incredible amount of training. And with the work level, at least in the private sector and in the public sector, coming up with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act work, training bodies so that you can put them to work, but put them to work safely. That seems, to be just really another choke point of this whole situation.
1: Absolutely. I don't think most people appreciate the training that goes into so many of these occupations. And yeah. that's where turnover could be really, really expensive. And so that's just another cost on top of having to give signing bonuses and pay raises to attract people in, then trying to hang on to them because every new worker then requires new training. And again, part of what's just so important and one of the special things that makes this industry, makes the shortage in this industry just so problematic
0: exactly another thing i know i talked with a general contractor kind of an hr diversity inclusion person and she said how very very difficult you are speaking to a limited number of people that are available you know we're talking about young males that are engaged in the workforce and she's trying to especially on public projects trying to meet those like city of st louis requirements for diversity and how it's hard to just find bodies And then when you divide that or you just hone in on not only bodies, but trying to meet the minority requirements on these public projects and sometimes on private projects for owners, how that's even an infinitely greater challenge. Absolutely. And when we
1: think about things other than wages, I think that's a good example of where programs and whatnot that can try to increase the exposure that especially young people have to the industry and construction occupations that's one of the reasons that's so important i can tell you as a faculty member at a university many many times over the years I've had students confide in me that they weren't really interested in sitting in a traditional college classroom. Imagine that, no, (laughs) but I do my best, but that doesn't fit with everybody's opinion of what's interesting or what they want to do. And many of these young people, you know, they confide in me that they liked the idea of working with tools and technology and building things. And either they didn't really know where to start or in some cases it was pressure from their parents and whatnot. And so I believe that any programs that expose again, especially young people, you know, high school students and not just high school students who are getting ready to graduate from high school, but earlier on to what it's like to work, say as an electrician or one of the other occupations, I think it could really help some of these people find their calling, right? And it's not just about filling job openings. You know, it's about helping young people find an occupation that they're enthused about, that they're good at. And we've had this discussion for decades now that there are, you know, especially European countries with apprenticeship programs for young people, not just for sort of post high school people, but things that can expose 15, 16 year olds to these types of occupations and maybe even get them out of high school for part of the day. And I think we need to look at these things, obviously at the national level, but also regionally, to try to figure out what we can do. Because again, I feel strongly as somebody who works with young people, my goal here in the economics department isn't to create a bunch of economists. It's to help young people find what they want to do so they can be happy and find their calling. And so I think the more things we can expose them to and the more opportunity they have to see about these occupations, the happier they'll be and the better it will be for the
0: industry as well. Exactly, I've run out of questions. Do you have excess answers? (laughs) <laughs> I bet you do. As an economist, I'm sure. No, no, you've got so many great statistics to light today and just given us a picture of I, who it is we're studying.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I would just say that you mentioned earlier the various programs, the infrastructure projects and whatnot. And this is going to, of course, translate potentially into, at the national level, thousands of construction jobs. And so unless we can figure out a way to attract these folks back into the labor market, this is going to exacerbate the shortages in many ways. And in many ways, public policy project, this infrastructure project, the extent that this legislation and this project is successful, it's going to hinge upon the ability of companies to find workers to work on these projects. And so it just makes it even more important that the success of our effort to improve the country's infrastructure depends upon being able to find solutions to these problems.
0: Well said. I totally concur with that. And so in this episode, we've been delighted to learn from Timothy Sullivan, PhD, Director of the Office of Regional Economic Analysis in the School of Business at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Tim, thanks for being here and sharing your expertise on Build St. Louis. It's been such a pleasure. I always learn a ton and you translate so well.
1: Oh, that's so nice. Well, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you for having me. You bet.
0: Contegra is Construction with Integrity. We mean it, believe in it, and manifest it in all we do. Without structural integrity, a building won't endure. Without personal integrity, a client relationship won't grow. We develop and complete projects safely, on time, and within budget. don't shy away from an aggressive timeline, nor from a project or vision that's years in the making. Contegra, construction with integrity.